I think we all know the feeling of seeing some words that find their way deep into our hearts. Uh, Whether it's a letter that you've received or a note that you got, there are times where we we see words and they just, they get stuck within us. Uh, There was an era where when you were beginning a relationship with somebody and a couple was pursuing each other, they would write letters to each other. When my grandpa was in uh, World War II fighting in France and Germany on his way to receiving a silver star, he wrote love letters to my grandmother. And when my my dad and my mom and my brother went to clear out their house uh, several years ago as they were transitioning into a new place to live, they found these love letters. And my grandpa and my brother know in no uncertain terms that those were letters he wrote to his wife and my brother was not to get anywhere near them. I don't know what was in them, but apparently there was some good stuff. Um, And so, you know, those are are words that when you get a letter like that, you hold on to it. You reflect on those words. You you read them again and again. Sometimes we'll we'll get a note that's an encouraging note. A a, a note about the impact maybe we've had on somebody or how much they appreciate something we've done. A thank you note. And and we'll hold on to that. In fact, I, I brought with me today... A file. I have two or three of these in my desk, and they are filled with cards that I've gotten over the years. And I hold on to these because in life you have some hard days where you wonder, does what I do even matter? Does, is this worth it? And I pull out this file when I am feeling like that, and I go back to these words uh, that people have written me to encourage me, to remind me to keep going. But there are other kinds of words sometimes we get too. One of those lovely emails. Uh, I refer to them as nasty grams. Kind of like a Christmas gram, but a very different vibe. Um, and you'll get a, an, an angry email or a frustrated email where somebody's critical of you. Uh, I served in a church at one point where every Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I got multiple emails like that. Uh, I, th- I think I became so traumatized that I just stopped opening my email on Monday. Or if I did, I did it with fear and trepidation. Um, and sadly, what happens in, in, our, in, in my heart, maybe it happens in yours, is that sometimes the negative emails, uh, they, they, they burrow deeper and they mean more than the positive ones. Sometimes the critical words, they, they get stuck in us in ways that the positive words don't. And if you have any experience with anything I've been talking about for the past two and a half minutes, if you've ever had a word that you have just gotten focused on that you couldn't get over, then you're going to really have a good experience today because you've had experience meditating. Maybe you didn't know it, but you're actually a really good meditator. Today, we're jumping into a new series that we're going to be going through over these five weeks in January, kind of 30 days of focusing on practices. We're going to be talking about what are the practices that help us to follow Jesus well. What are the things that we can do that actually are in our own power and strength that help us cooperate with what God wants to do in our lives? And and I'm not going to try to dig into 2,000 years of church history and find some hidden practice that you've never heard about. That isn't my goal. My goal is not to, to wow you with how well I know church history or theology and pull something out that, wow, I've never heard of that before. And so for some of you, especially if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you may go, Scott, I already know that. I've already heard of that before. Maybe I, I've already, I'm already doing that. And, and if that's you, I just want to encourage you that you have not uh, mastered it yet. 
because if you have, um, you're going to be going to see our friend Stan really soon. Because this side of heaven, none of us master following Jesus. And if we have, it's time for us to go home. If you're a newer believer, or maybe somebody exploring faith, I want to encourage you, there's going to be an opportunity for you here to learn something and try something maybe you never have before. As we start this series, I want to share with you just some basics about these practices. And here's the first thing I want to remind you. Practices don't save us or make God love us more. Nothing that we're doing here in this series saves us. That's already been done on the cross. And, and we're not doing anything here today or in this month to try to earn God's love because God loves us with a, a steadfast love. The Hebrew word for it is hesed. It means God's loving kindness, his faithful love that we didn't earn through our behavior and we can't get more of or less of because when he gave it to us, we didn't earn or deserve it in the first place. So we're not doing anything here today to try to save ourselves or earn his love. Secondly, these practices that we're going to talk about, they have both individual and relational components. So for those of you who, who hate being by yourself, this series is going to push you. Because there are some things in this series that we're going to talk about that nobody can do for you. But you have to do yourself. There are others of you that you prefer to follow Jesus and do life by yourself. You're not a big fan of needing people. You're not even maybe a big fan of people in general. But I just would encourage you, if you read the scriptures, there's no way that you can become like Jesus by yourself. If God himself came to earth and he needed 12 knuckleheads to live life with, you need some knuckleheads too. And so there's some relational components to what we're going to talk about. C, practices equip us for engaging real life with Christ. We're not talking about stuff that is kind of esoteric, disconnected from life, and we're not going to talk about stuff for five weeks that has nothing to do with where you live. What we're going to try to talk about are practices that help us show up in the midst of real life with joy and pain and heartache and celebration and actually equip us with something to give. And then finally, practices take time and patience. Last week, Pastor Josh was up here, and he gave a great message. I think his message was better than mine last week uh, as I was sitting there listening and taking notes. But he talked about the fact that our culture doesn't help us to become patient. It actually helps us to become impatient. People actually make billions of dollars off of our impatience. And the things that it, Christ calls us to do as his followers, they take time. And many of us are spending so much time in ways that we don't even know that we say we don't have time for the things that matter. And I just would encourage you, the things that we're going to talk about in this series, they matter, but they're going to take time and patience. So, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to dive into the first practice in this series, which is meditating on Scripture. And if you're taking notes, here's the big idea. Meditation isn't about mastering a method. It's about meeting God and His Word. My goal today, and what I'm going to share with you is something you can do this week. I'm not going to try to help you master something where you just nail the method. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is my word for you. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we get caught up in mastering a method and doing everything right that we miss the point. The point of meditating on Scripture is not being a master meditator. It's meeting God. And if you do meditation right and you don't meet God, you've missed the point. So, 
If you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to open up to Psalm chapter 1. Now, if you're new to the Bible, or maybe you're back in church, or you're watching from home for the first time in a long time, totally okay. If you've got a physical Bible, put your fingers in the middle and open, and you'll probably hit Psalms or Proverbs. Psalms is before Proverbs. And I want to encourage you to open up to Psalm 1. If you've got a digital Bible, just scroll down. Psalms is between Job and Proverbs. And Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms, and uh, it speaks powerfully to this practice today. And so I want to encourage you to stand as we honor God's word and start a new year together meditating on it. Here's what the psalmist says. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Heavenly Father, I pray that this year we might walk with you more closely than we ever have before. I pray that we might experience your presence in ways you never have before. And I pray that the way we practice our lives as your followers would help us grow closer to you. And I pray that the words of my mouth, Father, and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Now, in the time that we have this morning, before we celebrate communion together to begin the year, I want to share with you four truths about meditation on Scripture. And here's the first one. Meditation is a biblical concept. It's not something that's owned by non-Christian traditions. And the reason I start here is I think for some of you, maybe some of you watching online, maybe some of you who already turned me off, as soon as I used the word meditation, you started freaking out. Because you thought that in the new year, your pastor was preaching a different gospel or going down the wrong path. So often when we hear the word meditation used, we don't think of it from a biblical perspective. And I just wanted to remind you that meditation is a biblical concept. In fact, the word meditation appears over 50 times in the Bible. There's other things that you totally believe are biblical concepts that don't even hit anywhere close to 50. Let me give you some examples of meditation's appearance in Scripture. Psalm 19, this is what I typically say when I pray before I preach. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Joshua chapter 1, God speaking to Joshua, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. Last week when we talked about Christmas and Mary experiencing the shepherds coming to visit Jesus, what does it say? But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. While the majority of the mentions of meditation come in the Psalms, it is throughout the Old and the New Testament. 
that, that we are called to meditate on God and his word, and we are to meditate on the acts of God and the works of God that we have seen in our lives, we are to remember them, treasure them, and meditate on them. And this is a biblical concept. And yet so often we encounter uh, non-Christian ideas of meditation and, and we struggle with figuring out, so what is the biblical view of meditation? So I want to correct some misconceptions you may have. Here's the first one. You may be saying, Scott, I, I've heard about meditation, but isn't that about emptying the mind? Yes. Much of the teaching around meditation that's rooted in teachings and religions like Buddhism and Hinduism is about emptying the mind. But Christian or biblical med- meditation is about filling the mind. Christian meditation is not about emptying the mind so that when you get everything out of your mind, you can have peace. No, the idea Scripture gives us is that when you fill your mind with the truth of who God says He is, who God says you are, what God has done and what God is leading you to do, that will be the source of your peace. Some of you might be saying, Scott, I've heard about meditation. Isn't that about detaching from the world? Um, And I would say no. The Eastern view of meditation is that you detach from everything. Maybe even you leave the world so that you can find inner peace. But the biblical view of meditation, if it's about detaching, it's about detaching from lesser saviors and attaching to Christ. See, what we find in our lives as followers of Jesus is over the years, we may say that we believe in in Christ for salvation alone, but we look to certain things to save us or give us peace on a regular basis. And what meditating on Scripture will do is it will reveal the things that you are looking to other than Christ to save you. And it will invite you to detach from those so that you can attach to Christ. Some of you might say, Scott, I am really busy this year. I have so much going on in my life. There is no way I can meditate. It's just, it's impractical. I don't have time for that. That's a luxury I just don't have. And I would encourage you that that that's not true. Because meditation is about gaining something in order to give something to the world. And sadly, if you don't spend time attending to your intimacy and union with Christ, when you encounter somebody who has a need and you haven't received something from Christ, all of them, all of what you're going to give to them is you. And I think, sadly, what happens so often is the world comes to us as a church or individuals looking for something from God, and all they get is us. There are people around you right now that are hurting in deep and profound ways. Now, many of them are hiding it from you. They're putting on a really good show, like they have it all together. But there's going to come a moment this year Whereas you walk with them, they're going to be honest with you. They're going to open up with you, or you're going to have a chance to ask a question. I think most people are about three questions away from falling apart. And if you have meditated on God's word and been present with him and received something from him, then when they fall apart in front of you, you will have something to give them that does not have its origin in you, but has its origin in God. Finally, you say, Scott, isn't meditation just about better health? And so much of the research that we're seeing today from science is showing the power of meditation, the power of mindfulness. And I don't want to ignore that, but I just want to encourage you that our goal here, my goal, isn't just to make you healthier. Not that's a bad thing. 
I think all too often Christians are some of the most unhealthy people around. When we should actually be the people caring most about our health. I mean, after all, 1 Corinthians 6, our body is a temple. We are going to be held accountable as stewards for how we treat it. But at the end of the day, meditation is not about better health. It's about communion with God. And the goal of this discipline, the goal of this biblical concept, is to strengthen our union and communion with God. So that's the first piece of this. Second piece of this is that the process of meditating on Scripture is slow and intentional. Some of you are like, I hate that stuff. Well, look at what we see in Psalm 1. If you still have your Bible open or pop back open into that app, here's what the writer says. Instead, the man who's happy or blessed, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. The image then that's given is that he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So the image that follows right after the call to meditate on Scripture is not an image of something that happens fast or unintentionally. If you have ever planted a tree before, you know that that seed or that seedling doesn't grow to a size where it can produce fruit or grant shade quickly. The product of meditation happens in our lives slowly. If you care for or take care of a tree so that it can go from what you saw it as in the nursery to what it is in your backyard when you can sit under it and enjoy its shade or pick its fruit, that happens slowly and intentionally. This week I was working on this message and I I stumbled on an insight from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson passed away a couple years, brilliant author, faithful pastor, uh, biblical language expert. He spent most of his pastoral career translating the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into a language that his church could understand, and that is now called the message. It's a translation slash paraphrase that many people have come to love alongside reading their Bible to give insight to it. And, and in his book called Eat This Book, about reading scripture, he talked about his dog. Apparently he had a dog. Anybody in here have a dog or have had a dog before? Yeah, I know. Prescott is a, is a dog town, you know? Most of y'all love your dogs more than your neighbors, you know? Like, I'm convinced people in this town actually love their dogs more than they love people. Um, this, is a, this is a dog and cat place. And he said that he would see his dog gnawing on a bone. I brought a, a bone with me this morning. I was over at my friend Eric's house watching some football this week, and I asked him because his dog was all over me. I said, hey, do you have an extra bone I can borrow? And so he gave me a bone, and then his dog wanted my bone. And so he gave his dog another bone, and then my kids were in the other room, and they were making noise. So I got to get my kids, and I came back, and his dog had both of our bones. So this is the third bone. Um, but Peterson said he saw his dog gnawing on his bone, and he heard him kind of growling. And he said, my dog would spend five or seven days working on a bone, just reveling in, chewing on, and working on that bone. And then Peterson said, he said, I I opened my Bible, and I was reading through the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 31, this is what Peterson found. He found this sentence where this is what Isaiah writes. For this is what the Lord said to me. As a lion or young lion growls over its prey, 
when a band of shepherds is called out against it, and then the prophecy goes on. He said, that's, an, that's a great image, this lion growling. But then Peterson, because he was an expert in biblical languages, he went and searched what was the Hebrew word for growl. And the Hebrew word for growl is the word hagah. Can you say hagah with me? Hagah. And the Hebrew word hagah means to growl. But that isn't the only thing the Hebrew word hagah means. Like a lot of words, it's got multiple meanings. The Hebrew word hagah can mean growl or meditate. And so Peterson then went back and was researching all the other places where Haggah shows up. And one of the places that Haggah shows up, in addition to Isaiah 31, it also shows up in Psalm 1. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it. He growls on it day and night. And so Peterson talks about the image of us meditating on Scripture is like a dog that is just loving on its bone. Growling, enjoying, totally present in the moment with the bone. Now, I'm not encouraging you to growl while you read Scripture. I don't need emails from people this week saying, yeah, my husband was in his easy chair, he was reading through Isaiah, and he was growling. Like, that's, you know, I'm not encouraging that. But each time this week, if you have a dog and you give your dog one of these, or maybe you walk by a dog in the park and you hear the dog growl, I hope it now reminds you of this idea of meditation. That as that dog is present with and enjoying the bone, may we be present with and enjoying God's word. Now, I want to give a little caveat here. This is this is not scripture. This is Scott. Be really clear about this. Some of you have already started Bible reading plans for the year. Some of you have started, you know, you're going to read through the Bible in a whole year, or you're going to read through a section of the Bible. You're going to read some of it every day. There's some really fun Bible reading plans out right now. I know of one that you can read the Bible in 30 days. It's called Shred. It's aggressive. You spend over two hours a day in the first month of the year reading through the Bible. And so if you're somebody who's doing a Bible reading plan this year, I want to say bravo. Only 15% of practicing Christians have ever read the Bible cover to cover. It's a, a worthwhile endeavor. But I want to encourage you that you're going to face a temptation along the way. You're going to get behind, and you're going to think that the goal is getting caught up and checking the boxes. And I just want to encourage you that the point of reading the Bible is never checking a box, it's hearing from God. And if you get behind on your Bible reading plan, I just want to encourage you, God doesn't love you less. And if you get caught up on the reading plan, I want to encourage you, he doesn't love you more. And if you read it in 30 days or 90 days or a year, or if you're still working on last year's Bible reading plan or 2020's reading plan, just keep going. The purpose is meeting God and his word and hearing from him. The purpose is not getting it done. And I say this as a firstborn recovering achiever perfectionist. Better learn this the hard way. Okay, let's jump on to the third thing about meditation. The goal of meditating on scripture is heart penetration and joy creation. The goal of meditating on scripture is not checking a box. It's that our hearts would be penetrated by God's word and joy would be produced. Back in Psalm 1-2, the, 
the writer says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. The word delight is attached to the idea of joy. If you delight in something, you are filled with joy and wonder and excitement and happiness. When a dog chews on his bone, he is delighted. And the idea is that when we meditate on God's word, it might produce delight and joy in us. And I just would encourage you that that kind of joy doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And this is a problem because we live in a skimming culture. People don't read anymore. I have to structure even emails that I write or notes that I send based on the fact that people don't read. You have to send people multiple messages and remind them. Most of us just read headlines and bullet points. We don't read closely. And so as a result, we miss out on what God has for us. And I love what Rich Velotis says about meditating on Scripture. He says, meditation is the practice of slowly chewing on God's Word until it penetrates our hearts. How slowly should you read the Bible? You shouldn't read the Bible any faster than it can actually reach down into your heart. And if you're reading it so fast that it never gets underneath your surface, you're not reading it right. See, if you got a letter from somebody, a handwritten letter, from somebody that you love and care about, you would not read it fast. And if you needed to read it again, you'd read it again to make sure you got it. Maybe you'd go to meet with them and you have the letter with you and say, hey, I want to go over what you told me. The Bible is a letter like that to us from God. And the goal of reading scripture is that it might penetrate our hearts and produce in us the joy that comes from communing with God. And that's why I just want to encourage you this year when you think about the practices you're going to practice to think about the things that you're consuming. I mean, what are you consuming? And how is it shaping you? Not what are you eating in your diet, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether you have the five major food groups or the food pyramid or whatever it is that you follow. I mean, what's going into your heart and your mind and your soul? One of the saddest things I've discovered as a pastor in the last two years is that I am fighting an uphill battle with so many of you. Because I, uh, I can't win the math. The average person attends church 1.8 times a month, which means I get less than an hour with you every month. Every day, you spend two to three hours on social media. And if you watch cable news, you watch upwards of 15 hours of cable news every week. One versus 60, or one versus 80, is a difficult battle. And if you're being consumed, or you're consuming massive numbers of hours of social media, what that's going to produce in you is comparison, insecurity, and discontentment. And this isn't me. That's the data that's coming out of Facebook, Instagram, and Apple. That's why they're putting prompts in your phone to tell you to go do something else. Because even they know that massive amounts of their product are detrimental to you. If you consume hours and hours of cable news every week, what's going to be produced in your heart is fear and anger and hatred. And I don't care what channel you watch. Because that's what keeps, what keeps you watching. That's what gets you through a commercial break. 
And what we consume shapes us, which is why in Psalm 1, the writer says, happy or blessed is the one who meditates on and delights in God's word, because the fruit that comes out of that is fruit that lasts. It's fruit that endures. And this is the purpose of us reading God's word, that we actually sit with it long enough for it to penetrate us. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you have to sit with it long enough for it actually to get that deep. Skimming the Bible will not lead to heart penetration. You have to meditate on it. And here's the, the last word. Like all practices, meditation is not something we ever master. So I would encourage you today, if you're like, I'm not good at it, good. You're never going to master it. You're always going to be a beginner in some way. Back to the big idea, remember? Meditation isn't about mastering a method. It's about meeting God and his word. You're never going to master meditating on scripture. So just kind of let go of that worry and concern. Embrace being a beginner. Embrace being a learner. Embrace meeting God in his word. I want to speak to two groups before we close today. Uh, if you're a perfectionist, this first part is for you. Um, I don't think being a perfectionist is something to brag about. And I say this as somebody who has wrestled with this my whole life. I don't think being a perfectionist is something to be proud of. I think it's more of a liability than an asset. Because I think perfectionism can be a way of hiding from stuff like shame and judgment and unworthiness. If you're a perfectionist like I have been, what you're trying to do is prove something to people and God. Like you have what it takes, like you're okay, and you think that if you do something well enough, then you'll be worthy of love and you won't feel shame. And that's toxic to your relationships, especially your relationship with God. Because this is the ultimate statement about your perfectionism. God's never going to love you more if you nail it. And he's never going to love you less if you blow it. He came for you before you'd ever made it. you totally blown it. And yet he still came. So when we import perfectionism into our practices as followers of Jesus, we've forgotten this. This is the ultimate statement about your worth and value. And there is no condemnation, there is no shame for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So stop worrying about perfectly reading the Bible or perfectly meditating. It isn't the point. God does not expect you to be perfect. If he did, this would not have been necessary. So I want to encourage you to embrace something different. I want to encourage you to embrace progression, not perfection. Instead of worrying about being perfect, what if you worried about just how can I be a little bit better today? I, I made a shirt for you. It says 1% better every day. It's my motto for 2022 as a recovering perfectionist. I'm not going to be perfect today as a husband, a parent, a friend, a pastor, 
And if you think I'm going to be perfect as your pastor, friends, you are in for a rude awakening. It's the 2nd of January, and I've already failed. But what if instead you said, hey, I want to get a little bit better today. I want to get a little bit closer to Jesus today. I want to be a little bit more intentional today. And you know what? If instead of getting 1% better, you get 20% worse, there's grace for that too. I speak to another group too. The cynics in the house. Some of you are like, Scott, I've tried this meditation stuff. And it doesn't work for me. I've tried meditating. I've tried focusing. I've tried reading. I've tried listening. And it may work for you. It may work for the person sitting next to me, but it doesn't work for me. And I would encourage you with this reminder. Don't stop practicing when you feel like nothing is happening. We are always tempted to give up when we don't see something progressing. Whether that's working out, tempted to give up in the middle of the workout when the results only come after you're done. You're, you're tempted to stop working on that relationship with a child because you see nothing happening. You're tempted to stop working on your marriage because you don't see anything improving. But it's only when you keep doing the work when nothing is happening that you actually one day see the fruit. In his book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis talks about this temptation in the conversation he records between two fictional demons. One says to another, God wants them, that's us, to learn to walk, and he must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be, de be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he's been forsaken, and still obeys. He goes, Scott, I don't think anything's happening. Yeah, and the cause of our enemy is never more in danger when nothing is happening and you still take one more step. When you've stumbled and fallen and you're tempted to give up and you get up and you take one more step, the cause of our enemy is never more in danger. Because God is a great father. And what great father does not take joy in their child learning to walk? I've seen three kids learn how to walk. It was all ugly. It didn't look good in the moment. But I can tell you the one thing I didn't do. I didn't yell at my 18-month-old because he fell after three steps. And God is not yelling at you when you stumble either. He delights in you. And even your stumbles. So I'm going to give you some next steps today before we close. Here's the first one. I want to invite you to adopt a progress, not perfection mindset with your spiritual practices. I want to encourage you to leave perfectionism in 2021 and adopt a mindset that says, hey, I'm going to make progress because God doesn't expect perfection. And I'm just going to say, how can I take a step forward today? Number two. I want to encourage you today, before you eat lunch, so because you're here at the 9 o'clock service, you have a head start, 1030 is going to have a harder time with this. Before you eat lunch today, I want you to do three things. Pick a time, a place, and a partner for the practice that we're going to do together this week. 
So where are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And who's going to check in on you about if you did it? Okay, so time, place, and partner. And the practice that I'm going to encourage you to adopt today is a practice for meditating on Scripture called Lectio Divina. When you leave today, if you're in the room, you're going to get one of these double-sided sheets. And it walks you through a practice called Lectio Divina that's 1,500 years old. It was invented, created by Benedict, who was a monk in the 5th century. And his goal was to help his brothers in the monastery be able to have a sense of God's presence all day long. So I want to encourage you to try this twice this week. Just twice. And see how it goes. But it will help you and guide you through a process of meditating on Scripture. If you're watching online, if you go to our worship resources page under the watch tab, there's a button that says service extras. Click on that and you'll find this PDF. And again, we have it for you as you go. And I want to encourage you to give it a shot twice this week. And if that practice is not the practice for you, guess what? I've got four more. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the grace that meets us where we are. We thank you that the heavy yoke and burden of being perfect rests on your shoulders, not ours. And we thank you that because you hung on that cross, we are not only forgiven in the past and assured of a perfect future with you, but in the moment, you give us the grace to take our next step. I pray that this week, as my brothers and sisters open your word, chew on it and meditate on it, that they would meet you and encounter you in a very real way. In your name we pray, amen.